This is the Insulone podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... That's the kind of self-talk that I go through, uh, you know, when things get challenging with my diabetes. It's like, hey, remember traveling for five weeks through the Middle East uh, with the Globetrotters when nobody knew you had diabetes and you still managed it and it was all good? Uh, or remember that difficult practice where you had to take yourself out, drink some Gatorade, and then came back in and did well? But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. And boy, do I have a good episode for you today. The guest that I have is from Dallas in Texas. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 16 in 2005. He is an athlete, a speaker, a business owner, a podcast host. And in 2015, he started the very, very popular podcast, Diabetics Doing Things. He is the co-founder and managing partner of Recreation Dallas, which is a full-service advertising agency. He has a bachelor's degree in science and business. He's a former basketball player for the Washington Generals. He is a performer at Dallas Comedy House. There are very few things this man doesn't do by <laughs> already by the sounds of it. And just like I did during this episode, you are going to get a massive amount of value from him. He offers incredible insight into physically how he approaches his life with diabetes and his life in general, but also more importantly, he dives into mentally how he deals with things and how he prepares himself for a super busy schedule and to always be performing at the level that he consistently does. So you are definitely going to love this episode. Enjoy. So as I said to you, Rob, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because you are somebody that does a lot. And like I've already said to you, sometimes I feel as if, where does Rob get all the time to do all of these different things and also fit his diabetes management into it? But what I wanted to ask you about and what I've seen you do recently on your Instagram specifically is these ice pool plunges so when when did you start doing those and what sort of benefit do you feel you've noticed if any yeah man uh well first of all thank you i'm excited to be here and you're right i, I do a lot of things i you know even have you know brought that into diabetics doing things sort of just embodies my personality but uh the ice tub specifically uh i have to say it was probably at like 2014 or 15 i got introduced to Wim Hof. And I'm not sure if you're familiar, but uh, he's a Dutchman and he uh, he's called Wim Hof the Iceman. And he does crazy cold plunges. And he's uh, run, I think, across the Sahara Desert, did a marathon across the Sahara with no shoes. Uh, he climbed Mount Everest with no shirt. I mean, he has these records that are, you know, truly these incredible feats. Uh, so I kind of dug into the science and I dug into his story. And over the years, I've uh, plunged in cold water. And even back further, uh, and this has been funny because my family also teases me about uh, my cold plunge, uh, because when we were children, uh, we had a pool at my family's house, and when it would get cold outside, our parents would uh, we'd say, hey, who wants to go jump in, in the polar bear plunge? So we'd go jump in the cold water. <laughs> uh, so kind of like early age, it, it was really part of my life. And uh, then as an athlete, I used uh, cold and ice tubs for, for recovery from either injury or just to try to recover 
you know, from the, the grind of the season later in my career. Uh, so it's something that I probably put my 10,000 hours in, in terms of like research and experimenting and, you know, jumping in my apartment complex pool when it was cold outside and, you know, trying to recreate the, the Wim Hof method. So uh, I, I kind of came to this point where I, I wanted to commit to who I said I was. And so, like, you know, I'm this person that, you know, is very curious about health and uh, really investing in my body to, to live the life that I want. And we can kind of wrap that around diabetes later in this conversation. But uh, the, I was like, okay, I've got to commit. I've got to buy this ice tub. So I bought my Renew Therapy ice tub. It's huge. Uh, it's at my house and I get into it every day. Uh, so I, I dive in and I'm, uh, I plunge in the cold be- for a couple of reasons. Um, I think first from a, like a non-scientific method, it's the hardest thing that I'll do all day is forcing myself to get in really cold water. Like it's, you know, every single time I don't really get used to it. You're like, you still have to convince yourself to jump in. Yeah. And uh, the second is just uh, all the real scientific benefits, like uh, you know, it increases your metabolic rate, you're burning more calories, uh, reduces inflammation, reduces pain. Uh, and I'm a guy that ha- I have a lot of miles on my body. I'm sure you can relate. Uh, and you know, any relief in pain and any relief in inflammation is going to you know really improve my quality of life. So I was looking for that. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think you know, from a diabetes perspective. Uh, just really investing in my body and healing and, and trying to heal my brain and body uh, from the chronic stress that I, that I deal with on a daily basis, uh, running businesses and, uh, you know, just being on phones and kind of existing in this modern society that we live in. So uh, every day I try to w- wipe the slate clean with uh, three to five minutes in the cold water. Hmm. I think we're definitely singing from the same hymn sheet here, Rob, in terms of the, 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 the physical stress on our bodies, the mental stress that we feel with diabetes to a certain extent. And it's something that I have been trying to do as well. Now, I don't have my own ice tub yet. I definitely will be getting one at some point. I love it. But, Speak it into existence. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But it is the physical and the mental. And I love the way you say you kind of wipe the slate clean and it's like, the most difficult thing that you will do that day. So presumably, is this something, or is this how you start your day? Uh, it is. I think my best days, uh, I'm up pretty early. I, I get some sunshine on my body. I breathe some fresh air outside and I plunge in that cold tub. Uh, then I get out and I make myself a cup of coffee and get started with my day. It's, uh, it's becoming part of my routine. Um, you know, it's so interesting uh, the way that you frame that, cause it is physical, it is mental. And so is diabetes, right? Like it's so they're, they're, you're balancing so much on both sides and, uh, your podcast does an amazing job. And I think you do an even better job on Instagram yourself of explaining how physical activity and commitment to exercise and, and movement can give you, uh, you know, and, and deliver you better diabetes outcomes and a more balanced life. And I think for me as well as an athlete, that's, you know, physical exertion is just the, the way I've, I don't know. It's just, it's the way I'm so used to it. It's part of who I am. And so mm. as I'm getting older, I'm 33 now, uh, you know, nobody's paying me to play professional sports anymore, but I still do it because I love it. And it's a way that I can connect with who I am. And it's a way that I can get better diabetes uh, numbers and, and feel better. And, and so for me, yeah, it's, it's just the, the routine that kind of sets the stage for me to be successful with my day. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. And 
what I used to do and I used to do it consistently and then over time it just kind of took a lot of time but I used to swim every morning in the Irish sea so as you can imagine it's it's absolutely freezing and like you said yourself Rob when you're getting in you don't ever get used to it but Along with the physical benefits, it is that kind of mental step that you're taking at the start of the day to say, well, look, if I'm pushing myself to do this thing, and this is possibly the worst thing I can put my body through early morning, the rest of the day can seem easy. I love that. I love that. I'm jealous. I got to come visit you and jump in the Irish Sea with you. That sounds incredible. Absolutely. It's uh, and <laughs> you get an extra bit of a challenge when there's five foot waves knocking you down <laughs> onto the stones <laughs> of the beach. Um, but I think it is one of those things that you never get used to it. But when you step out of that cold water, particularly early morning, and you're kind of setting that tone for your day, you, it's almost like a, a rebirth and you just feel unbelievable. I couldn't agree more. And that's why I had to, that's why I had to invest in the tub uh, because I, I live in Texas and uh, in Dallas specifically, and it gets very hot this time of year in the summertime. Mm. Uh, and even in the winter, it's not always as cold as it is in, in Ireland. It's certainly not as cold as it is in the Irish sea. Uh, and we don't have any bodies of water around here for me to, to, you know, in, immerse myself into. And so, you know, that was part of it. And, and I think what, what we're talking about is resilience training. And if you can overcome something that's uncomfortable right at the beginning of the day, uh, whether it's physical or it's mental, and in this case, I think it's both, what you're building is resilience tolerance and ability to make decisions under stress. Uh, And, you know, really wiping that chronic stress slate clean with some true acute stress. Because when you're in that cold water, as you know, your heart's racing, your brain is on fire. You're saying like, get me out of here. Like, this is clearly like not the ideal environment. And then when you emerge and you give your body what it wants, uh, you just feel that huge rush of dopamine and it's science. It's like 350% increases in dopamine, uh, from a cold immersion. And you just feel that like power and you feel that resilience. And, uh, as it's been said many times, like diabetes is, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's, it's a lifelong chronic illness that we're going to have to deal with the highs and lows of every day. And so by training my body and mind to deal with resilience, I can improve my personal relationship with my body. And that includes my relationship with my diabetes. Do you feel that desire or that need to build that mental resilience that you're talking about? Has that stemmed from you being type 1 diabetic, Rob? You know, it's hard to say. Um, I've lived with diabetes for nearly 18 years. And you know, it's, it's part of who I am. And so I think, I think, of course, like every decision that I've made to this point has been influenced in some way by the diabetes. And I think just making peace with that over the years has been, I don't know, it it just, as I've grown and and maybe you feel this as well, like your first 10 years with diabetes, uh, you know, you feel a certain way about it and then maybe something changes. For me, the big change was being open about it on social media and starting uh, my own podcast, Diabetics Doing Things, and uh, and deciding to raise my hand and publicly say, I live with diabetes. And, you know, so when I, when I look at resilience training specifically, 
I'm looking at it as the long-term picture. Like I'm going to have diabetes for the rest of my life uh, until there's a cure at some point. And, and even then, most of the cure science that I read is mostly about prevention. So, um, you know, for people with diabetes like us, uh, you, it's likely that we may never be cured. And I think I have to, uh, it takes mental resilience and physical resolve to accept that and also continue to live and continue to uh, chase dreams and continue to build a life that, that I want. And, uh, and yeah, so I think resilience training does, does flow into that. Now it's not exactly the reason that I, that I did it. I think the main reason was, Oh, I'm reading all this science. I know physically I'm going to feel better. And so that wasn't necessarily pulled into the diabetes decision, but I think that every decision, uh, every major decision, especially has something to do with diabetes. Uh, and that's something that I've over the years gotten a little bit more comfortable with. I think it's one of those conditions that it's so unique in the sense that it is just constant and there is rare even right now i'm speaking to you and i'm thinking where's where's my blood sugar at you know am i <laughs> am i going up am i going low where am i and it's constantly influencing even from my own perspective constantly influencing how i act what i do decisions i make and even from speaking to you for 10 minutes it's quite clear that you feel that same way how do you feel, Rob, your relationship with the mental side of diabetes has changed over your 18 years, if at all? Well, oh man, that's a, that's a big question. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I can, you know, try to take a stab at it. But I think that it's in a number of ways. I think it's early on, especially as being diagnosed as a teenager, I was fortunate that I was kind of past my, I was 16 when I was diagnosed. So I was past my initial, um, my initial rejection of diabetes, you know, my, um, my initial, uh, kind of teenage angst. But I remember there were big highs and big lows emotionally. Um, and, you know, blowing up on my parents and saying, you'll never understand me, you know, when I was 17 years old and, uh, and then kind of going into college and, having to deal with uh, being an athlete and the pressure that comes with that at the college level in the United States and also having to manage my diabetes and kind of looking to the left and to the right at my teammates and being like, man, I feel like I would be such a better athlete if I didn't have to manage my diabetes alongside it. Hmm. Um, and it's just such a, it's such a burden that you, that you can carry. And so even into learning about mental health and diabetes and the close link between anxiety and depression and diabetes and, having to look myself in the mirror and say, you know, uh, if it weren't for diabetes, maybe I wouldn't deal with these things, but because I have it and because it's part of my life, I need to, uh, be honest with myself and take a look in the mirror and say, you know, Rob, could you, could you benefit from a relationship with a therapist? Could you benefit from asking big questions about, uh, your mental health related to diabetes? Uh, am I holding on too tight to, to control or to a number? Uh, what could I do to add, a joy in my diabetes life that would potentially offset some of the, some of the difficulties. And so I, I don't know that I have that figured out just yet, but, I, but one thing I've done recently uh, is I, I made a list and I got this from uh, listening to Dax Shepard, uh, the Dax Shepard uh, podcast talking about uh, his sobriety and he's a sober person and, and, and I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not sober, but I think that these really apply to me uh, from a mental health standpoint, uh, related to diabetes. And he makes a list, like when he's feeling really down and potentially, you know, losing his sobriety, 
he has a list of, of a checklist of things to do. And so I decided that, you know, when I'm feeling down and I'm having like a, a depressive day, uh, I'm going to make a list of things that I do. And so uh, questions that I ask myself. And the first one is like, have I been outside? Did I drink water? And those are really basic, uh, you know, human elements, like go get the sun on your skin and your face, go drink some water. Uh, and then the next one is, okay, well, where are my blood sugars? Uh, and so, you know, a, you know, either a test or a glance at the CGM. Uh, and then from there, I ask other questions like, well, did you get enough sleep? Do you just need a nap? <laughs> and what I find is as I get through these questions, as simple as they sound, if I, if the answer to some of those is no, and I can correct it, I almost always feel better after I'm doing, after uh, getting through that list. So it, whether it's go outside, maybe that's all I need that day is just go outside and then come back in. Maybe it's mm -hmm. drinking water. Maybe it's a nap. Maybe I get all the way through. And the, the last one is like, well, did you work out? Uh, that's something that brings me joy and obviously, you know, brings me the physiological benefits uh, of, of exercise. Uh, and when I get through that list, I feel better. Uh, and so I think that's what I've tried to put in place over the last few years is systems and uh, reminders that can help me when I'm down. Because I know that there's going to be a day where I feel low, uh, where I'm, I'm overburdened by diabetes in some way or something else in my life. So if I can create these safe spaces and really positive activities, maybe I can help soften the edges around feeling down or feeling bad. And, uh, and certainly I'm a human. I have my bad days, just like anybody else. Just ask my yeah. wife. Uh, but <laughs> that, that really does help me. Yeah. I love that. And it's something that I haven't done in terms of physically writing a list, but the way you're explaining that there makes so much sense to me because it's like you're so aware of a shift in mood that may be as a result of X, Y, or Z. And when you're aware of what those things might be, then you can take the steps to improve them. And it's so similar even to how I look physically at my diabetes management because I will always view my diabetes in the physical sense of an accumulation of various different Mm. tips or tricks or tactics or strategies that come together that give me the management that I want. So like you said, drinking water, am I pre-bolusing, am I carb counting, am I exercising? All of these things individually don't have a significant impact, but when they are done consistently together, for me, that's what kind of gives me a sense of freedom from my diabetes, for lack of a better word. So do you feel, Rob, you're more in tune to how you feel physically and mentally because of your diagnosis? I'm glad you asked that because I was actually going to ask you the same thing. I, I've heard... I've heard people talk before, and actually, uh, an Irishman came on my podcast years ago, Phil Graham, and talked about how diabetes kind of introduced him to taking care of his body and, and becoming a bodybuilder, and you know, writing a book, uh, you know, Diabetic Muscle of Fitness Guide. Uh, so, got a shout out Ireland. Um, but <laughs> for me, yeah, I think it, what it's done is it's given me a heightened awareness, and I think what diabetes you have to do as a person with diabetes is. Be aware of what your blood sugar is. Be aware of what you're putting in your body. Being aware of what your output is, whether physically or mentally. And, you know, for me, I try to make, be mindful about, about that. And, 
And the other piece is like, what gets measured gets managed. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a, a mantra that I don't come naturally to. Um, but even the simple thing is like physically, like you said, writing that thing down and writing down those steps and acknowledging that I am going to feel this way again. It's very similar to like, oh, you are going to have a high blood sugar. How do you respond? Uh, you are going to have a low blood sugar. How do you respond? Uh, you, you know, and I think that's that mindfulness, that awareness of diabetes has, has given me more insight into my body. And so when I meet friends or I have conversations about health with, uh, you know, my friends who don't live with chronic illnesses, I think they're always kind of, uh, overwhelmed by how much I think about my body and how much I've learned and, 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 uh, researched and refined over the years because, you know, their body's just doing it automatically, autonomously. And, um, you know, I think diabetes has been called the disease with too many inputs. Uh, and like we just talked about all of those different things on my list, hydration, sleep, exercise, those all are part of, you know, they all affect diabetes in different ways. And so of course, if I'm not doing those, I'll feel bad. And, and so I think that's where, uh, that gives me a little bit more recognition. And, and also like if I, if I have a high blood sugar and I don't feel well or a low blood sugar and I don't feel well, I don't judge myself for that anymore. And that's taken a lot of work. But it's just a natural response to having a higher or low blood sugar. Like your body is not designed to feel good during those times. And so, of, of course, you can feel overwhelmed. And I think just giving myself grace and space within that to, to feel those emotions can help me move forward more quickly and, uh, and not really get stuck in the, in the downswing. Yeah, and the way I always frame it is no matter how well you manage your diabetes there will always be highs and lows and i've said it about a thousand times on on this podcast but anybody who tells you they don't have highs or lows is either not diabetic or a liar and for me so much of my management consistently is acknowledging and accepting the fact that there are going to be highs and lows and and that can even be with your your mood, like you said, your mood, your performance, your energy, all these different things can, can fluctuate almost as much as your blood sugar does. But when you have that heightened awareness, like you said, you're already taking the steps to have the tools to manage when you do have lows or do have highs or low mood or low energy. Rob, you were your high school valedictorian, Honors degree in college, professional basketball player, comedian, speaker, business owner, podcast host. The list goes on and on. Where, and this is a question that I wanted to ask, obviously, but where does or where has that drive come from for you? Is that an innate drive that you've always had to be successful or is that something that you've developed over time? Oh man, that's a big question too. Nature versus nurture. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I credit all of my success to my family and my parents. I uh, I had what I call one percent parents. They inspired me to not only chase the dreams that I wanted, but then they were like, "If you want to bring them to life, you got to stick with them." And I think that uh, seeing what they were, the example that they set for me was basically you can do anything that you put your mind to, but you better put your mind all the way to it. And I think, uh, you know, seeing my mom, uh, run a business, seeing my dad work and, and run businesses and, and, uh, you know, really give of himself to provide for the family and my mom the same way. 
uh, it taught me, you know, what, what it really takes. And, it, and, you know, I think even playing college basketball, I, I really learned how to work and especially like work with, uh, you know, the first few years, uh, my coach and I did not have a great relationship and he didn't really see me as part of the program going forward. So I had to change his mind every day that I belonged there and that I was part of that. Um, and, you know, I was very fortunate. I grew up with, uh, with both parents and uh, my brother and sister. We had a lot of advantages and I'm very grateful for that. Um, and at the same time, going from that environment to a really cutthroat, uh, performance-driven, what-have-you-done-for-me-lately culture uh, in college sports and pro sports gave me a work ethic that I may not have gotten otherwise. I'm a big advocate for people playing sports so that you can face adversity and fail in a way that's not like fatal or final. You know, you miss a shot in basketball. Uh, yeah, you would rather make it, but it's not the end of the world. And you learn how to build that resilience again. Uh, so yeah, I, I do a lot of things. I run two businesses. One of them is literally called Diabetics Doing Things. And, you know, the reason that we chose that title is because when you get diagnosed and you're sitting in that chair and they say, you have diabetes, okay, I'll be right back with some information and some prescriptions for you. And you're sitting there waiting. When I was diagnosed, I, I you know, there was no Google. And so I was just sitting there kind of racking my brain, like, am I going to be able to play basketball? Can a person with diabetes play basketball? And I was very fortunate that at the time, Adam Morrison was playing for Gonzaga and was national player of the year in the United States with type one diabetes. And so I had somebody that I could look to and say, oh, if Adam Morrison can do it, so can I. Uh, and, and my doctors did an awesome job. And I heard Lauren Bongiorno on your podcast also say this at her diagnosis. Like, you can have any dream that you want as long as you take care of your diabetes. So I, was, I saw taking care of and managing my diabetes as the key and the portal to whatever I wanted to accomplish. And for me, that was playing basketball. Um, so I had somebody to look to. So fast forward to today, when someone is diagnosed, they pull out their phone and they search for whatever they want to do or whatever they love to do, whether it's playing video games or practicing law or being a weightlifter, bodybuilder, or playing a sport or going to college, they search for people with diabetes doing that. So for diabetics doing things, my goal has just been to tell as many of those stories as possible so that when that person's in that chair, there's someone, a real person out there who can explain that to them and, and show and give them an example that they can do it as well if they want. And so, you know, that kind of is what powers me. But from a, you know, from a work perspective, um, I'm also a little bit of a time management junkie. Uh, I love Tim Ferriss. He's, he's what really inspired me from a podcast perspective. Um, and just being curious about managing your time and uh, challenging norms in terms of scheduling and using technology to help augment, you know, my human weaknesses and, and my time constraints. Uh, and that has driven me to like a lot of productive work and also a lot of burnout over the years. Uh, and so more recently, uh, I, I read this book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And it basically says that, you know, 4,000 weeks is really the average human lifespan. And when you put it that way, I think it really forces you to make every moment matter. Uh, and so for me today, where I, I look at the, my younger self, you know, really pushing to accomplish, really breaking my energy and breaking my back to accomplish these things. Uh, and I'm very proud of those. But today, I'm a little bit more mindful about it. And I think basically what I'm describing is aging. But I, <laughs> you know, I, I want to be more present with my wife in the mornings. I want to have better relationships with my business partners, with my friends, because uh, we're not promised tomorrow. 
And this kind of uh, brought me through to this really interesting uh, epiphany that I had about diabetes, which uh, is that if you and I were born at any other time in human history, uh, we'd be dead by now, Uh, you know, with a few exceptions. Like in the last 100 years, people with type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes have been able to survive. And what an amazing gift that is for us. Uh, And so I'm already on borrowed time. So why not just make the most of the time that I've been given? Uh, So sometimes that means uh, working really hard on a project that's going to get some sort of notoriety or working really hard on a business proposal to grow the business and, and, uh, you know, uh, either put more money in the bank or, or employ more people and give more people opportunities uh, but also, you know, maybe it's important, just as important to watch TV for an hour and a half with my wife uh, after work and not worry about the email inbox and not worry about the to-do list. And just know that, you know, being present in those moments and appreciating them uh, are maybe the most important thing that I'll ever do. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, that has changed, that's changed more recently. And, you know, a few years ago, I, I lost my dad to, uh, to colon cancer. Uh, last fall, uh, Tom Shear, a Beyond Type 1 CEO, who's my good friend, uh, passed away suddenly. And it reminded me that all we get is right now. And I, and I would want to not, you know, at the end of my life, if I was looking back on, on my life and my accomplishments, I, I wouldn't want to waste a moment. And so that's what I'm focused on now. Is it's not so much how much can I get done within a particular period, but how can I make sure that the most important things to me are defined and that I'm taking care of them and I'm nurturing them and I'm nurturing myself. And even if I'm not the most productive person that day, uh, that I can be passionate, that I can be present and I can be whole in and, and happy with what my universe looks like. Um, I don't know. These are kind of big concepts, but, uh, I'm glad you asked. I, I think it's, uh, I'm a, I'm a self, I'm a recovering workaholic, I guess is what I'm trying to, <laughs> we're trying to say. And at the same time, I, I love to work. And, uh, and I think that that's, you know, part of my identity. Yeah, no, I love that, Rob. And it was put so poetically almost. And it's something that I think about a lot too. And I feel I'm, I'm not old yet, but as I get older, I feel as if time goes faster. Mm. And you were saying about how like you, you want to be present and you've had this epiphany around, you know, the, the smaller things in life, which is a great way to look at it. And even since I, I've been in the States for a couple of months and I feel as if the last number of years has just boom, like mm. disappeared. And I consciously try and be in a moment when I can. And even in a moment, I find it difficult to be there. I don't know if that even makes sense, but I, do you ever try and, (laughs) I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but do you ever try and consciously be present, but still struggle to feel as if you're present? Absolutely. That makes sense. Absolutely. Mm. I I actually think you know, they, they say that all of man's problems stem from not being able to sit by himself in a room with nothing else going on and sit quietly with his thoughts. Uh, because being present is hard. And we, yeah. especially today with technology and you and I on social media, like how many notifications do we get on a daily basis that are pulling us from the present moment? Uh, 
And, you know, I, I don't want to act like I have it all figured out. There are days where I am very not present. But what I try to do is not judge myself for it uh, and return to my practice. Uh, and that's another thing that the ice step teaches me, because when you're in that cold water, when you're in the Irish Sea, you're not thinking about anything else. <laughs> you're nowhere being else. in that water, right? You are <laughs> yeah. there. And, that, and yeah. that's, I think, like, you know, if I wake up and I'm in space and I'm my thoughts are going all over the place, I jump in that water and boom, there I am. I'm in my mm. body. And I'm, I'm counting down the seconds before I can get out. And I think that those types of practices, you know, and staying focused on, on what's important to you and, and uh, yeah, you know, remind yourself to be where you are, where your feet are. It's a practice. It is not something that, that I have mastered. And, uh, and I would encourage uh, people to just continue to struggle with it, with yourself. I think that's the, that's that resilience, right? Like it, it's, uh, you know, building that resilience and not judging yourself for, you know, only being able to, you know, sit down, take a couple deep breaths before another thought pops in there. That's, that's being a human. Uh, that's what it's all about. And, uh, so, you know, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, as long as you're not judging yourself for that, you know, being distracted uh, and understanding that, you know, we've been conditioned as a society to be more distracted than any generation before us. Mm. So it's hard work to get outside and leave our phone at home. Uh, you know, when was the last time uh, you left your phone before you left the house for the day to go, you know, run about your business and then you realize you don't have it and you like break out in a cold sweat, you know, like it's like, oh, this is part of us and part of who we are. And, uh, you know, it's certainly given me a lot of opportunities and it's a huge part of my life and my businesses. Uh, and maybe one day I'll be fortunate enough. I can just throw my phone into the Irish sea and just be done with it. But until then, uh, you know, <laughs> no I just have to calm, man. that relationship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's another thing, like I've got to look at my, you know, I'm wearing the guardian connect for Medtronic right now. And I've got to check that on my phone. Uh, so, you know, where somebody else might say, Oh, well, Rob's on his phone a lot. Well, I'm looking at my blood sugar. I'm looking at my <laughs> insulin on board. You know, it's a, it's a challenging thing for people with diabetes. That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list. 